This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback. And I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cami here. Woof, I have had to take a prolonged leave of absence from the show. You're going to hear more about that soon, but um, I'm so glad to be back. And I thank you for your patience and continued support. You want to support the show on Patreon? Sure. Go to patreon.com slash heyqueeros. I'd love that. That would, that would mean so much to me. Also, I am going to be doing some stand-up. You can go to cameronesposito.com and look at all of the stand-up dates. Um, well, actually, I should... You know what I should do is update my website, I'm realizing as I said that. Um, but also today on the show, Chris Belcher, who is a professor, a one-time pro-dominatrix, not one time, but at for a stretch of time. Anyway, and uh, the author of a really excellent memoir called Pretty Baby that I really enjoyed. So please, you enjoy this episode. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still So excited to be here. First of all, Matt and Jordan are here doing the engineering and producing, and I haven't I haven't seen either of them in a while. That's really nice. Also, it's legitimately pouring in, in LA and has been for a really long time. We don't get rain here to the degree where it's a an emergency all the time that we don't get rain here. And um, I live on a hill, and um, one thing that I have to do at my house is push the trash cans because today's trash day away from the curb because otherwise LA gets so little rain that there is like not proper drainage and otherwise the trash cans get swept up in a river and there becomes a depository of trash cans at the end of my street and so that's why you don't buy that house at the end of the street (laughs) because everybody's trash cans just end up uh in front of your house um Floating, floating into the LA River eventually. Yeah, exactly. Well, it all goes to this, it all goes to the sea, which is like such a wonderful. I was just reading about how that's actually fucked. We should be trapping our water and not let it drain into the sea. So I am going to be doing likely nothing about that, but reading. Um, <laughs> but it was good to know. And I also have um, a wonderful guest, and maybe I always I always have uh, guests introduce themselves. So maybe you could introduce yourself. Yeah, sure. Hi, I am Chris Belcher. I'm a writer, I'm a professor, and a book coach. And I grew up in rural West Virginia. Um, now I live in Los Angeles with the trash cans that are flowing <laughs> rivers <laughs> to the sea. Um, and um, I'm the author of a memoir called Pretty Baby. It came out in the summer. Yes, and I had the chance uh, finally, because I can't remember when you sent me this, uh, to read it like mm, over the holidays and, uh, had started it before the holidays and then like actually had time to finish it. So, um, immediately when I started it, I, cause you had reached out to ask, you know, if I was interested in talking to you. And I, I think I had read like 20 pages when I was like, oh yeah, like we'll definitely talk. I mean, I'll finish this before we talk, but we'll definitely talk. Cause like, <laughs> This is a, an interesting person with a really cool story. And um, I guess my first question is maybe if you could just like give us a two sentence about what the memoir is about. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, it is a coming of age story. Um, so it starts when I'm a child. And like I said, I grew up in rural West Virginia. And so a lot of it is about figuring out what it meant to be a girl um, in that context, um, navigating boys and sexuality and coming out. And then um, there is a jump in the book to present day or over the past 10 years in Los Angeles and having to do all of that over again because I ended up working as a professional dominatrix. A lot of the book takes up that job. And um, yeah, there's a lot of renegotiation of what it means to be a queer person, what it means to be a lesbian, um, a butch lesbian as I identify with um, now and have at various times and doing sex work with men um, really, yeah, complicates a lot of those identities. And so the whole book is in uh, sort of coming out, uh, coming of age, um, and it really shows how it doesn't stop <laughs> when we're teenagers. And I think that sometimes that's the assumption that you come of age and, and you're done at a certain point. And I, I don't think that's quite true. Yeah. I mean, number one, also, wonderful work burying the lead. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> I do think like, look, I don't fucking know what circles I run in. Maybe this is just all queerness. I don't, I literally don't know. Or like art, artness, but you're, you're not the first person I've met who's worked as a dom um, or who's done sex work of different kinds. Um, yeah. Like I actually know, a fair amount of people who've done like various different things from like peep shows to like sleeping with folks to webcam stuff to whatever it is. So I don't know what that says about like, is that just queerness or is that my art queerness? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's interesting because, um, you know, I do think that when you are a sexual outsider of all kinds of, you know, in, in any kind of way, right? Like queer people, um, have been marginalized, right, by the mainstream of society. And I think that that can do different things to different people. I think that for some queer people, there's a real reaction to that and saying, like, you know, I am as normal as possible, right? Like, I don't want to associate myself with any kind of deviance more than has already been heaped on me. And then I think that for other queer people, you know, we already see and understand what it's like to be marginalized. And so how to navigate those worlds, you can enter into different modes of sexuality or even sex work or sexual labor and see it as, you know, just an, another way of living one's sexual life that might be outside the mainstream, but is an option. And I, so I think that queerness for me kind of did sort of, it closed down that possibility for a really long time, but I think that queerness also opened me to the possibility of sex work as well. Yeah. And this is, I was like waiting for this moment in the book. So I, and I don't think it happened unless I like somehow misremembering. Um, but what do you, what, tell me about what you are a professor of, what you currently teach. Oh yeah. Um, so I teach writing. I teach in the writing program at USC here in LA. And then I'm jointly appointed in gender and sexuality studies. And so, you know, all of those things sort of, um, you know, come together in the book in, in certain ways. But in the book, most of my time in academia was um, as a graduate student. And I yes. was studying queer studies, gender and sexuality. 
Yes, that that's most of the focus of the time frame that you're talking about in the book. You're like, yeah, you're talking about schooling. And I was curious about like reservations or, and maybe this is what everybody asks you, but, um, you know, I'm somebody who has shared a great deal of my life. And it's also, not that there's no risk, there's risk, but it's highly unlikely that I will be, I mean, I have been, but I think I'm thinking about being punished for sharing reality of my life. Like, Mm -hmm. I think compared to somebody who worked in a different industry, um, I just, it's a different level of risk. Like, I can talk about a lot of different things and it's like chalked up to my being an artist or a stand-up comic or working in Hollywood. And it like, it just doesn't like, even if I might have some consequences, like it's not the same. Um, And I'm just curious about like your level of reservations around, reservation around, um, sharing this story, attaching your name to it, being a professor, professor of writing. I'm assuming your students would look this up and read it. You know, like, I'm just curious about all that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, in the, it was a, it's been a journey um, coming to this point where I could be not just out as a sex worker, but so fully out that I'm sharing really intimate experiences that I've had in the sex industries. Um, when I was in graduate school, I was really afraid of that. And and a lot of the book takes place with me in the closet as a sex worker, because I was afraid I would never be able to work. Um, and I think a, a lot of people experience that. And this thing actually happened to you where um, there was like a, like revenge porn is maybe not the right, there was a an outing, uh, a connection, somebody that was angry with you for reasons beyond your control. Uh, right decided to try to link your professional dom name with your work name, your birth certificate name. So you even had that experience of somebody trying to mess with you in that regard. Yeah, yeah. And it was, you know, that was, it's one of the the most difficult moments in the book. And it, it was in a time where, you know, it was before we used that term really like in common parlance, revenge porn. But when I think about it now, yeah, it was, it was a blackmail situation and all of that, you know, the ability for somebody to do that to me, um, you know, rests on the ways that our culture, our society treats sex workers, right. That, that, um, I would even be in the position to feel like I was going to lose my job from being outed. Um, But at a certain point, I think, you know, for me, when when I started wanting to write this book, as opposed to just being a scholar and, you know, keeping all of this in the closet, I think, you know, I really do have this investment in writing and storytelling as something that can change the ways that people think, the ways that people feel. And if I want to be part of a change where people don't have to be ashamed of the work that they've done in the sex industries. For me, um, I really did want to put myself in the line in that way. And at a certain point, I gave up on um, the closet as the best way to to, to, move forward in my career, right? Um, And it is definitely a very vulnerable thing to share a life, as both of us have done in, in different ways. Um, but I also think, you know, I ask that of my students too. I ask my students to, to go deep and to be vulnerable. And at a certain point, it felt like I'm asking these students to write these incredibly personal 
narrative essays and, 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 you know, put their lives on the, um, you know, on the page in certain ways, like, can I do that too? And so that was like really part of, um, you know, why I wanted to write the book. And when it was getting ready to publish, did you feel, or maybe even prior to that, did you feel a need to disclose to like coworkers, uh, bosses that this was going to come out? Did they already know that you were working on it? Can you talk me through that a little bit? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I didn't. I just like I left it to the point of where, you know, they can read the book description and kind of find out for themselves. I think that what I, I made sure that I did um, as opposed to kind of announcing it was just to make clear that um, this was an achievement and this was something that I was proud of. Oh, that's right? awesome, man. Yeah, because cool. I, you know, I think that a lot of things it's like it's it's all in the presentation. Like if you come to somebody and you say like, hey, like I have this like deep, dark secret, I'm writing about it, you know, like they can it frames it for them as something to be ashamed of. But if you're I think if you just come at it and say, like, I'm I'm working on this project, it's a memoir. I'm so stoked. It's being published by a Simon & Schuster imprint, like, here we go. Like that, I, I feel like it frames it in such a way that people can be proud of you. And then they see what it's about. And they're like, oh, wow, she's proud of that. Huh, cool. that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's really smart. There's just so many um, layers around, for instance, like you working with students and this being true and like the misunderstanding. I mean, it truly could not be more in a moment of that in terms of like, fear and uh, hate-mongering around, like, you know, I just think about something like that, and I think about you navigating that. So I love to hear that positioning. I think that's really smart. And I'm curious if that was also on your mind, The because I, I, I don't know, like, the summer, that shit was already happening, right? When did the, all this fucking happen, all this, like, don't say gay stuff? And I know it's different in, like, a college setting, but also, like, not really. I mean, it depends where you work. It depends what what state you're in. Like, there's a right. lot of, uh, yeah, really rough time to be in education. Not that it's ever been easier to be doing queer studies in education. But just right now, it's like in the news so much. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's always been on my mind. I mean, even, you know, back when I was in graduate school, there were always like rumors of like, you know, like if you have a, a student in your class who is incredibly conservative and has, you know, something, you know, like is out to get you, like you can end up on one of these like dangerous professor lists or, you know, like you end to up like... Totally, yeah. Yeah, like I don't want to be profiled by Tucker Carlson, you know what I mean? Like as like, and held up as an example of, you know, this is what's happening in, you know, liberal uh, universities, right? Like, right. Um, but at the end of the day, it is, um, and that's a good thing, right? <laughs> like, um, I, I don't shy away at all. Like I, you know, I get, um, comments on my, um, my teaching evals that say things like this class made me break up with my boyfriend. And I'm like, you know what? He probably needed to break up to be broken up with. If you're learning about patriarchy and you're learning about, you know, toxic masculinity and you want to break up with your boyfriend, I do think I've done a good job and, and that's, that's, that's funny. fine with me. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a concern. And, um, but at the end of the day, you know, like my students are adults and, you know, we take up, especially in gender studies, we take up a lot of ideas together that are about, you know, like, like we, we study sexual assault, like, I, and my students are in a kind of environment where they're faced with these problems. These aren't abstract or theoretical. These are things that, 
that affect all of us. And so I think, you know, put it like, bringing yourself into the room and saying, like, I'm a person with experiences of these things. These aren't abstract. They're not in a textbook. They're, these are issues that we're all dealing with. I think that, you know, it, it creates a, a learning environment that makes, um, we can see that what we're doing is something that's necessary for us to live our lives. Like when I was in college, it was called women's studies mm -hmm. um, and also zero classes in women's studies were offered at my university. So it was oh, like wow. a it was like a distant siren singing to me. Um, and I'm I like one. I'm very curious about the demographics, like sort of a generalized statement that you might make about the demographics of like who takes who takes those classes these days. Like, is it the same crew? Is it like unshaven legs and they're and I'm playing them on various rugby teams where I wish I could also take the classes that they take? <laughs> or is it like a different crew in like a Gen Z zone? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's interesting. I think, um, you know, I'm very fortunate to be teaching at a college that does, you know, have a lot of requirements that folks have to take in terms of diversity, you know, getting the like a diversity of courses, right? And so my class, when I'm teaching a big intro to gender and sexuality studies, it checks a lot of those boxes. And because of that, you do have a wide range of students who might not necessarily think that like getting a feminist education is like at the top of their list. They do want to check off the box so they can graduate. <laughs> and so like we have, you know, we have that. And, and I... And I'm I'm happy that 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 those are the students that I'm teaching because I don't want to be preaching to the choir. You know? Totally. And and even with the like queer students who end up in the class, um, you know, I want them to be able to defend their positions um, with with their classmates. Right. I want to create a safe environment. I never want to like play devil's advocate and like put us into a situation where I'm, you know really validating something that's transphobic or homophobic or misogynist. But I do think that, you know, we are and, and students, young people are in a kind of echo chamber, right? Like our algorithms only give us the things that we already are invested in. Right. right totally. And so saying like, okay, let's let's actually be able to talk about these issues to people who might be unfamiliar, right? Who might be in completely different algorithms. Like how are we going to speak to one another? Um, I think that's great. But then also, you know, I teach uh, classes that are more focused or like upper division classes where we have the majors. And yeah, I mean, those students are probably the same students that, you know, you. you it's who, I, would it's to, who to, I think it is. OK. Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Um, yeah. I mean, that's I like the idea of that that intro class. Um, that's that's like cool to think about, because for sure, I, you know. I relate to what you're saying in a different zone, not just like my own consumption of media and like what my TikTok looks like, but more so just like, I don't know, I think about, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, but when people are like, I mean, did you ever think about like performing for straight audiences? And I'm like, first of all, for the first like 10 years of my career, I had absolutely no like name recognition, just like every comic and I performed for everybody in every possible setting. And second right. of all, now that I do have that, my audience is self-selecting. Like there's mm -hmm. no screening at the door <laughs> or like 
you know, it's anybody can fucking come. It's just that like, it's just that not everybody does. And, you know, it's interesting. Actually, I have been doing like Instagram reels in the last year. And for some reason, those like break a bubble of people for me. And so I've had some like, I've had some shift in um, my audiences and I am actually into that. Like, that's cool. And also like, for sure, we always want there to be haircuts. Like we always want (laughs) there to be a preponderance of haircuts in the audience. But like, it's nice to see like cis dudes there. Um, Yeah. Well, do you find that like, you have to change up what you're like the jokes that you're like clearly when you when you make a joke to a straight audience there's going to be people who like don't get it at all right <laughs> um actually it's the opposite really i so so i don't change my material um mm-hmm. i do like i do always sort of like reference the room or like what's happened in my life so like my shows change but i don't change it per the audience and one thing that is interesting is that people who are learning about something for the first time, because laughter is partially like, it's it's a knowing response. Like we laugh when we know something, but also it's a surprised response. So it's the surprise and the knowing. Those things combined creates the biggest laughs. And when I'm performing for our community, um, the knowing can be there, but oftentimes I'm missing some of the surprise. And right. so it actually, like, performing for a mixed crowd um, is, like, the best because it cre- it's, like, everything gets caught. Like, it's, like, there's not, like, nothing is missed. Like, the things that you and I wouldn't find surprising, someone finds surprising. And the things that, like, feel super specific, some other people get that. So it's, like, it's, like, the best. Yeah, I relate to that, too. I think that, you know, it's just about, I think, being, like, authentic to your own process, right? As opposed to trying to hit one audience or the other. And that was something when I was writing this book, um, there are parts of it that I think, you know, for an audience of queer people or sex workers, um, it can be really tedious to have to be in the mode of like, I'm teaching you that this is okay. Right. Like I'm teaching you that I'm a human. I'm, you know, and, but, you know, on the other hand, I hope the work does that for people who are not queer or for people who don't have any experience in the sex industry. And I think that, you know, being able to achieve both is really just about being authentic, right, to the truth of the story and, and whatever it is. And so it's probably pretty similar to, to you know, writing in terms of stand-up. Yeah, I mean, at least my process, for sure. Yeah. I, I want to ask you a little bit more about, well, I mean, since you... <laughs> Since you mentioned uh, teaching, um, like I'm sure there's going to be people who are listening to this who actually don't even know what we're talking about. Do you think you <laughs> could just give me like a very quick run through of what like a dominatrix is or does? Yeah, absolutely. So a professional dominatrix is somebody who is working within the realm of BDSM, right? And so we're thinking bondage discipline, sadomasochism, right? Um, Most people have been really uh, poorly introduced over the last 10 years to that concept through something like Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, of course, right. I mean, yes. And that is a wild, that is a wild uh, representation of this (laughs) world because their relationship is like for sure abusive outside of the 
sexiness that happened in theaters across America. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, you know, we could do, it could be an entire podcast on on why those representations are, are bad and wrong and dangerous. But I will say that, um, you know, like that, that is the realm that a, that a pro-dominatrix works in, right? Um, folks could come to see a pro-dom because they are interested in being tied up, because they're interested, they have particular fetishes, like everything from as mild as a foot fetish to as wild as, you know, wanting to be transformed into a piglet and root around on a tarp covered in food, right? Like this, which is a scene <laughs> yeah. that I've done more than once. Sure. Okay. Um, you know, like, uh, you know, but the the most common um, sorts of sessions end up being things like spanking, um, you know, cock torture, CBT is what we call it, cock and ball torture. Um, you know, like there's a pain Not, humiliation. That's, that also is cognitive behavioral therapy. So it's different <laughs> <I know>. than <laughs> that. <laughs> I know, right? We we have we have a problem as a culture um, yeah. with with those. Two yeah, acronyms. I'd like my therapist to get into a little CBT with me. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> I have practiced CBT uh, both ways, and yeah, I yeah, find yeah, both yeah, both yeah. of them very useful. What about CBD? Um, Any CBD to mix it? Yeah. <laughs> Ton, tons of CBD yeah, as well. Yeah, CBD yeah. as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people. You know, people find find. People are very interesting sexually. There are some people who will take their CBT and it will feel like CBD because it right, is right, relaxing right. to sure. some to be kicked in the balls. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, like all, there's a range of activities, but a professional dominatrix is someone who is part of the sexual service industry who you can make an appointment with, like you would make an appointment at your salon and you will go into a dungeon studio that's set up for this kind of work. Where um, are those? And you, Just out of curiosity. Well, are they in a, I mean, are they in a city? I mean, there are people who have rural dungeons, definitely, who are set up all across the country. Um, sure. But, you know, in, in a major metropolis, there's usually like a few different um, kinds of dungeons. Sometimes there, there will be commercial dungeons where there are people who are like working on a staff and you can walk in and meet them and then spend an hour together. Um, and then uh, there are folks like me who I was like working independently. And so I did my own advertising. Folks would find me on the internet and then um, and then we would meet up to engage in BDSM activities. How would folks find you on the internet? My, that's my, my question is just not, it's not like, what are the search words? It's more like, like I'm thinking of something like Backpage, but like mm -hmm. that, actually, I don't know. Like, if there is, like, a collection, besides, like, your own personal, besides one's own personal website or something like Backpage, like, I actually don't know if it's, like, you're on, like, a forum or if you're, or if people are searching directly for you. Yeah, I mean, well, I started working professionally in 2013. And so back then, different. I mean, yeah. It, yeah, it was a very different world. Um, you know, we are now living... Uh, after the passage of a law called FOSTA-SESTA, which yes. really changed the internet for sex workers, because what that law did was it um, made it possible for folks to sue, for instance, a website like Backpage, right, um, if they had been this is going to get us into the weeds of a lot of different <laughs> political questions. Um, but basically, 
websites could be held liable for what was posted on their site, right? And that was a very, that was a big change to the ways that the internet worked. And it affected sex workers in a really acute manner. So when I was getting started... And was like targeted at sex workers. It was targeted at sex workers, yes. Yeah. I mean, technically, um, you know, and there's a lot of really good writing on, on, on this, like from the sex work community. Technically, it was meant to curb trafficking, Right. Yes. So folks who are working against their own will. Um, but what it did was actually harm a lot of consenting adult sex workers who were using these online platforms to conduct their business in a safer way. Because if you're doing it online and you're screening people online, there's a lot more safety than just like having somebody walk in off the street. Um, and it actually made it much more difficult for law enforcement to find people who are trafficking others because all of that trail is gone and everything has been pushed oh, like, wow. further and further underground. Yeah, because the thing, I'm just remembering at the time when this was all going down, the thing that I was like aware of is that the actual community was not involved in this process of this right. thing that air quotes was meant to pr- protect the community. It was like, yeah. a, like a big brother vibe of like, we know what's best. Um, and the reason I'm bringing up that specificity is because like, I just think it circles back to some stuff that you were talking about, about the, like, we talk about this entire topic <laughs> differently than when I was a kid. Um, mm-hmm. And still, I think that the, like, like, daddy knows best vibe is, uh, like, real, real strong and perhaps even stronger because we talk about it so differently. It's, like, more acknowledged in the mainstream to my mm-hmm in my like purview, but I mean, I could be wrong. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, too, this, this also is about like our bubbles, right. As like Mm -hmm, queer mm -hmm. queer people um, or people who are living in progressive cities, right. Mm -hmm, Like mm -hmm. it might feel like we're in this moment where people are really taking sex workers um, seriously when they're talking about like, Hey, this is like, what's going to make my life more livable and safer and and more prosperous. Right. Um, we might feel like, Oh, like, yeah, we've gotten to a point where that's happening. But like, certainly when we're talking about like the house and Senate, I don't think that's the case. Right. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, the point being that we are in a very different landscape of, of the internet now, but when I was coming up, you really could, post an ad on Backpage, and that's how the process would start. I mean, folks um, who are working in the industry often have a lot of skills in website design, SEO, right? Like, that's all part of it, too, right? Like, that is... Totally. um, That's definitely part of the job. It's a big chunk of the job. Um, So, you know, ideally, somebody could Google. That's so funny. It really is. It's so... That's so funny. (laughs) No, I just like... I'm just thinking about, like, there was a period in my 20s where I was, like, working in the... as a circus ringmaster. And one thing I found out from that is that people who are acrobats are also, like, amazing at sewing because, like, you make your own costumes. So not unlike, not unlike queens, not unlike drag queens. Um, But that's just, it is funny to think about the different uh, unimagined skill sets that are required by a job that (laughs) seems to be Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's not it's not all like walking in heels. Um, <laughs> like, definitely, it's a bit. It's a component. Some light coding. But, yeah, yeah, true, yeah, truly, marketing, uh, social media, right? Like all of that's part of it. But yeah, I mean, like folks can find if you're looking for a pro dominatrix. Um, it's harder today than it was then, but um, yeah, you you know, you're like you're using Google. You're you're uh, finding folks on the internet now. I think you know a lot of people use things like OnlyFans as well. 
right, to like build up a client base. I want to get into a little bit of like, do you still identify as a, as like a lesbian? Is that the word I would use for you? I do. I, I mean, I love the word dyke. Um, cool. It is a word that um, I know that all of your episodes too start with like, there's going to be words that people use that aren't um, yeah. you know necessarily the words <laughs> totally. that we all identify with. Um, I like dyke um, because it has a political history and a political sort of valence that I feel is part of my sexuality. Um, but yeah, lesbian's cool too. Um, queer's fine. I like, I'll, I, I like them all. I'll take them all. Yeah. Um, you know, I, well, I do feel like because queer is such an, a nice encompassing term that we love, um, it does feel very different to say dyke uh, in regard to the question that I'm going to ask you, which is about working with cis dudes, um, mm-hmm. which were most of your clientele. Yes, yes. And my particular relationship with cis dudes is that like, and I know that uh, working as a as a dom is really different than this, but my my particular connection with straight straight dudes is like, I have a lot of friends uh, in that community. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, I also can find uh, dudes attractive these days. And also... I find that I sometimes don't know how to even talk to them because Mm -hmm. like, even if that it's like, it's not like I don't like know which men are attractive or it's not like I don't have dude friends, but like at this point I have been dating like women and trans folks for like decades. And, um, that's like who I know how to have the closest interactions with. And I guess I'm just, it's like not so much even the like sexual connotation of the do, of the like work that you did, but also just like being around men that much in work that uh, was interesting for me to think about in reading your book. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, I, I definitely had the same feelings going into doing this kind of work because, you know, I had been dating women for so long. And I, even in, in Los Angeles, I don't, I don't know if you find this, but, you know, when I was growing up, there were so few gay people that there wasn't the same kind of like gender segregation or, or age segregation or mm. racial segregation, everything that like when, when you're in a, in a city like Los Angeles, I feel like you can literally only hang out with lesbians, right? <laughs> like not even interact with cis gay men. Um, and That's I, interesting. Well, I also have a yeah. lot of like, I have a lot of like straight female f- friends. Mm-hmm. So it, I guess it's just like at this point, I like really talk to women. <laughs> like women yeah, is like yeah. who I talk to a lot. And I have yeah. sisters. Like, I don't know. I just, I talk to a lot of women. <laughs> right. No, I mean, and and I, I'm the same. I, I, when I was in living in West Virginia or like living in the Midwest before I moved out here, I think that um, I had a much more diverse set of friends in in all of those ways um, uh, around like gender and sexuality. Um, but when I moved to Los Angeles, like, yeah, I hadn't had a relationship with like a cis man. I mean, well, since like 
I don't know, my parents divorced when I was 17. Like I, you know, like I had gay male friends, but like, I just like didn't spend any time around straight men and it had been a very long time. And so um, I was nervous about how to interact with them um, for sure. I kind of didn't know what I was doing and I I was nervous about a lot of those things. Um, but, you know, like the power dynamic is so different in that particular scenario that there, there are definitely men who I saw who had all of the issues of like entitlement and privilege that you think that they're going to have, right? That they like walk in and kind of like dismiss you. You're just there to, to, you know, provide a service and like whatever. But most of the men that I interacted with, because they're submissive and, and many of them, you know, really are invested in this idea of female supremacy. Like that's the way their brains work. That's the way their junk works, right? That's what turns them on, that they didn't act like the straight men that you might just like encounter at a bar or club, right? They're just a particular sort of breed. But, um, it was a learning curve for me in lots of ways, especially because I hadn't interacted sexually with, uh, well, a man ever, only boys in high school. So, Wow. Yeah, totally. I think another thing that came up for me reading the book was when you were, there's like a, at least one like unsafe, like physically unsafe situation that you sort of talked about, because um, this does require like a level of like secrecy and like locked doors and like things like that that is that's true for a lot of sex work i mean outside of like uh whatever's happening in places where there are like legal brothels but obviously also even there i'm just thinking about like the vague you know initial protections of like somebody knows that someone's in with you i don't know i guess i i I think you talked about this a little bit but like how often did you feel scared in this zone I mean, eventually the job became mundane in ways that like, you know, whether that's a good or a bad thing, I did let my guard down at a certain point. Um, But, you know, the book starts in a scene of feeling really unsafe, Um, not necessarily because the person I was with was doing anything that made me feel unsafe, but just, you know, the reality of being alone with a strange man and like nobody knows where you are, which is not something that should have been happening. In that first scene, I say like somebody should have known where I was, but I was acting a bit recklessly. Um, And, you know, it, yeah, there's an, I wanted to start with that element of danger in the book because um, you know, stigma and criminalization and all of these things that, that that sex workers face, like, do render us more, you know, like, they put us in danger, right? Or, like, mm-hmm. not being able to tell a friend because you're, like, hiding what you're doing or whatever it is. Like, all of those things are, are dangerous. And being alone with a strange man doesn't often feel um, safe. And while these are, this is a path that I chose, um, it was a way of making money that, made my life a lot easier than like having to work a lot on the side and also be in graduate school. Um, It's not uncomplicated, right? Like it's a choice that I made, but it's a choice that also came with some risks. Sure. I mean, look, that's even true of like being a person who like travels a lot for work like I do or like is Mm -hmm. in hotels a lot or like, God, I mean, I'm thinking of like... (laughs) I guess I'm, I'm thinking of, like, uh, whenever this was, a couple years ago when I, like, rewatched Pretty Woman for the first time, 
since I was a kid, and I was like, oh, he's like creepy. Like, I was like, right. Richard Gere's like not, doesn't, I don't, doesn't feel like uh, cute. Like, I'm like, right. get out of there. Uh, like, he's very, uh, so anyway, I just think like stuff that, um, or like when I think about people in the community, even, even in our community, being like, oh, why can't lesbians have sex like gay men? And you're like, because we were all, because we're, sca- we're scared. We don't want to go right. to a random stranger's house. Like, right. That's why. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Or like, you know, cruising in a park at night. Like, yeah, yeah. Ex- yes. You know, yeah. like most, most people who were socialized as a female, like are terrified of being alone in parks at night, you know, for, for good reason. Right. Because men can be very scary and um, yeah, there's always that like threat of violence. And so, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, not a lot of uh, glory holes uh, filled with queer women. <laughs> okay, we're 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 rounding the bend pretty soon. I have a couple more questions. Um, one is like now, some of this is based on an episode of Seinfeld, <laughs> <laughs> and some of it is based on my own exp- personal experience. There's like this episode of Seinfeld. I don't even fucking care about that show but you know how ra- there's like random shit that sticks in your mind forever and you're just like why will this never leave my mind but there's an episode where jerry is dating a like massage therapist and he, he keeps trying to like give get her to give him uh like massages for free um and that is something that I think about whenever I go see a massage therapist is I think about the people that are in their life. I have no idea why this, <laughs> and I'm like, who asks you for massages for free? Like I, right. so my question is when this is your job, do people approach you for free sessions? Do people you're dating ask you for sessions? Is that a part of it? Um, that's so funny because my girlfriend's obsessed with Seinfeld. Uh, so. <laughs> I am not. So please run this run this episode past her and see if she, she can even remember if this happened. Because I think it happened on Seinfeld, but either way, it's stuck in my mind forever. I mean, it, so- it sounds very Seinfeld. It's funny. Yeah. It's like, what does she ask me for? Well, to watch Seinfeld. But um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I definitely have when I was when I was actively pro doming. There were definitely women that I met just like out in the queer scene um, in L.A. who definitely took interest in me um, because of the work that I did. Right. Um, And, you know, that can feel bad. It can feel fetishizing. I guess it can also feel exciting. Like I have this skill set. I'm interested in doing this in both my personal life and my professional life. But um, but yeah, there were definitely not necessarily people who were like, hey, can you like hook me up with a spanking? Um, it was more like, hey, I know you give spankings. I'm interested in that. That's why I'm interested in you. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, for just as many people who might have been interested in me because I was a dominatrix, there are also plenty of queer women who are like, I'm never going to date. You know, I mean, we still were plagued by this idea of like the gold star lesbian, right? Still to this day, I know people complicate that. And I think that's, you know, it's, it's complicated. It's, you know, I have a lot of feelings about that, but, um, but definitely there are people who are like, yeah, I'm not going to go out with somebody who's like interacting with men in that kind of way, even though professional BDSM for the most part doesn't include sex, right. Or like how we typically think of sex, um, like peen in, Gene or whatever. Absolutely. 
<laughs> um, okay, final question before we go into asking you to shout out Aquero. Do you agree that you look like Brandy Carlisle? <laughs> um, I agree that that's a fantastic compliment. <laughs> oh, yeah. It is a fantastic compliment. Um, okay. Well, this has been a great talk, and I... I really loved uh, Pretty Baby, and I really would recommend it to anybody listening. Um, I think it's it's like a great, yeah, it's a great read. And also, like, kind of, um, like, it's pretty, like, I've, I actually found it to be pretty fun, <laughs> even though, like, yeah. there's some pretty serious stuff in there. If you're looking for something that feels like great narrative, but also, like, an exploration of maybe something that is inherently interesting because of how it is stigmatized, uh, yeah, this is a, this is a great book. Um, and before I send you back into your day, I wanted to ask you to um, shout out a queero, which is a person, place, or thing that made you feel that you can be who you are today. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I there are a lot of queeros in this book. Um, you know, there's a bus driver who was the first woman that I saw really embody masculinity um, in in a female body, um, and you know, it, like I it just like she is still like I can conjure her in my mind so easily. They're also like the gay kids in my small town who came out before me. Um, and I I still think of them um, as as incredibly brave and, and opening up pathways for me um, that were really important. Um, but I'm going to go with uh, Genesis Moss from The Real World. <laughs> who also is in the book. But I think there are a lot of unsung uh, reality TV queeros uh, from the 90s who, you know, Pedro Zamora, Genesis, right? Anissa, right? Like there's so many like queer people who I, th those were the first queer people I really encountered, right? Were reality mm -hmm. TV uh, gays who oftentimes were like cast to be the problem in the house or be something that, you know, to be somebody who would cause everybody else to grow and learn. And I think that was probably really, really hard for those people. Right. Um, I think that, um, yeah, there, it's just a, an area of queer life and representation that um, maybe has been taken for granted a little bit. So shout out to all of those like MTV real world queers who peopled my uh, imagination as I was figuring out, uh, how to be queer myself. Yeah, I don't think anybody's said that in the long time we've been running, but I but I agree with you. I mean, I think that's actually still true, you know? I mean, I think especially because of, you know, how often queer characters are, like, can be siloed in um, scripted television where, like, mm -hmm. it's like they're somebody's best friend or whatever. Um, you know, I mean, just because reality TV requires, like, packages be done on individual characters or people that are in the, I mean, I'm just thinking about something like Survivor that like has done a bunch of work in that area too, where you're like, okay, well, I guess Survivor is a yeah. <laughs> place people can <laughs> uh, learn about queerness, but it really is. Yeah. So yeah. it was lovely to talk to you and I hope to actually meet you in person. Yeah. Let's hang. We're in LA when the rain stops. <laughs> yeah. 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 As soon, as soon as the sky clears, I'm on my way. <laughs> um, and we'll have, and we'll have a real chat, um, in person, but until then, uh, thanks so much for your time. And thanks yeah, for the book. Thank you for having me. This was a wonderful conversation. Thank you. Oh, yay. 